Hello and welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Coruscant Pulse. This is episode 89, being recorded on October 2nd, 2017. We are 72 days until The Last Jedi. The Battlefront 2 beta begins this Thursday, October 4th, and as of this recording, from a certain point of view, comes out tomorrow. With me this week is James. Hello. Hello. But yeah, no Tom again this week. Uh, he is on the path to recovery finally. So hopefully we'll be having him on the next episode, which if the many, many rumors that are out there are true, starting with Hamill himself, uh, we will be seeing a trailer for The Last Jedi during the Monday Night Football Vikings versus Bears game on October 9th. James, do you think that that's likely? I mean, they had to figure out some way to get people to watch that game. Yeah, because, I mean, Tom and I are out in Chicago, and, oh boy, they're real bad. Like, they're like Jets bad, James. Excuse me. <laughs> the Jets are 2-2, two and two, and the Giants are 0-4. Oh Ouch. The Jets are the New York football team right now, because uh, everyone else is sucking. But, yeah, I don't know what the Vikings record is, but... Having the Bears on Monday Night Football can't be good for ratings right now. Yeah, especially because they're going to be going up against hockey season. Woo! Eh, never got into hockey. That's because you have failed. <laughs> and it would follow the, um, the convention. I mean, Rogue One didn't release a trailer during Monday Night Football, but the, um, the Force Awakens did. So maybe this is something that they're going to do for the trilogy movies. Could be. But yeah, you know, and we do have a little bit more news, or I guess rumors again, about The Last Jedi. And that is something that has come out off of Fandango and a couple other sites, and that is its runtime. The longest ever. Not by a whole lot. It's 8 minutes longer than Episode 2, which clocked in at 142 minutes. But it is 15 minutes longer than episode 7, which was 135 minutes. Well, they had to put in 15 minutes worth of dialogue for Luke Skywalker. Oh my god. I do wonder if, if you take a stopwatch and time it out, if that is the case. If, if Mark Hamill has 15 minutes of voice dialogue, I will laugh my ass off. Because that would just be fucking funny. Part of me would love if he told, if we never once hear Luke Skywalker talk in present day, and it was all done in flashbacks, just just to mess with the fans. <laughs> no, God, no. Although I am still up in the air about whether or not J.J. Abrams will ever direct Luke Skywalker speaking. I mean, if he dies in this film, probably not. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't think he dies. You know, I, I don't think we have enough information about the Luke, Ray, Snoke, and Kylo storyline to figure that piece out. Because all the information we do have about The Last Jedi really centers around, in, in a lot of ways, it really centers around the Finn Rose story. Because they're the ones that are definitely on Canto Bite. We've seen kind of the behind-the-scenes trailers. We've seen Finn riding on that horse-like thing down the streets of Canto Bite. Uh, we've seen Poe Dameron, you know, have stuff explode around him. We've seen Finn and Rose kind of infiltrate a base. 
we've seen Poe Dameron fly up against, you know, in one of those speeder things to try and take out something. Probably those ATM6s. Yeah. But from Ray and Luke, we see Ray and Luke in kind of like the training montages, but that's all we see. We don't actually see them do anything. And that's why I think that there we really just don't know anything about what that storyline and that story arc is going to be. But you know, I don't think we're going to know much about that storyline story arc in, until that the movie comes out. They're going to keep something secret. They have to. I hope so. And I think it is going to be very good. I hope so. Um I think there's one more book coming out that's like the Legends of Luke Skywalker. I know that was one of the ones that you weren't as interested in, but I think I'll probably pick that up just because it's supposed to be told in the Last Jedi time frame. Like, not the la- necessarily Last Jedi, but like first Force Awakens Last Jedi time frame about Luke Skywalker as if he didn't exist anymore. Or he was just a legend. So maybe that'll give us a little bit of backstory or insight. Well, is it even that Luke Skywalker didn't exist and it's just people that haven't met him because it's people to whom Luke Skywalker is kind of like a fictional character. They've never had any interaction with him. All they know is that this guy, like kind of like if you've watched Braveheart, like the the myths of William Wallace. Yeah, yeah. I've never watched Braveheart, but I, I know what you're saying. Uh, like my eyes rolled so hard just now. And I mean, like, I don't really get to say a whole lot because I haven't seen Blade Runner and, and a couple other huge films like that. But, but still, like, it's for me. That's that's the only piece of that book that I'm actually really curious about because specifically of what happens in Battlefront Twilight Squadron, not Inferno Squad, but Twilight Squadron, the first one that was released alongside the first game, because in that book was one of the first times in my kind of like reading of star wars stuff that we got to see people with a less than rosy picture of luke skywalker that were specifically less than rosy picture of luke skywalker that were rebels which is a different take just looking at the wikipedia uh no they're trying to sell me an ad i don't want your ad First of all, the guy who's writing it is a Hugo Award-winning author. And it looks like the children are telling stories on their way to Canto Bright. Bite, and they're telling six stories about Skywalker debating, and they're debating, is this a myth or truth? Yeah, like, does he actually do that, or no? Yeah. Um... And I think that that's a really neat thing. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to come out October 31st, so we have it coming out in about a month. And other than that, though, I'm trying to think of all the other books. Everything else, like you said, is pretty much Finn or or Kanto Bite related. Or Resistance, like um, the Bomber book. Yeah, well, which even then, that is Rose um, related. And, you know, Finn and Rose are going to, I think, be tied to the hip during this film. Yeah. Oh, did I not realize this? Did you not realize this? Did we miss this? So, Star Wars Canto Bite 
is coming out on December 5th. And it's going to be like four or five novellas. I mean, didn't miss it for me. Like, I, I remember that one. We talked about it on our wrap-up episode of all the stuff that was coming out. Because, yeah, that is another one that I'm definitely interested in. Because I feel like they have a lot of really neat authors and stories that are going to be told there. Yeah, it's, I think it's only like four or five, but still. And probably will help set the tone of that world for us. Oh man, I'm starting to forget that itch. You know what itch that is, Dave? No, what itch is that? We're getting Star Wars in like two months. Yeah, that is kind of awesome. You know, with The Last Jedi, even though we don't have a trailer yet, we do... It, it feels like the actors are starting to make the rounds on the various circuits. And I have a feeling that that'll really pick up as soon as the trailer is dropped. But someone was in the news speaking to Collider just this past week. And that was Domhnall Gleeson, a.k.a. General Hux, who spoke to Collider about The Last Jedi and J.J. Abrams. And there was one thing that really struck me about, about this entire... Really, the entire interview. That is that Domal Gleason has an awesome accent. Like, man, that accent is just... I, I don't even know. What, like, I lack the vocabulary to describe just how impressively cool that accent is. Yeah, because it's Irish, but not, like, traditional Irish. Like, it doesn't have that, that brogue. At least to our Americanized... Uh... Um, expectations ears. yes for all we know there could be tons of people in Irish that speak like him in Ireland rather but something that he did talk about was specifically on The Last Jedi that when he read the script he immediately needed to talk to Ryan Johnson and this is something that we've seen in a couple of different ways this is very similar to the comments that Mark Hamill made about Luke Skywalker it's that Ryan Johnson, in his script, appears to have taken the characters in very different directions than what the actors were expecting their characters to go in. Uh, you know, he goes on to say that it's different from what they expected. You know, he thinks it's a really positive thing, and he wants to make sure that the films, that they don't repeat themselves, that their characters do grow and change. I think that that's something that, again, you know, we've talked about this a couple times about, you know, how we really wanted Ryan Johnson to take over the next film, because with the way that they were talking about this one, it felt like the innovation that Kathleen Kennedy and Disney were touting when they first said, oh, we're going to have all these different directors direct Star Wars. It feels like Ryan Johnson is the only one or is the only one that they've trusted to actually innovate i personally i really liked what gareth edwards did in terms of a lot of the cinematography especially during the front part of the movie which my understanding is mostly pure unadulterated him and that a lot of the stuff in the later parts of the movie were things that were adjusted in in post 
But with Gareth Edwards and the way that he filmed, like, I felt like that was really innovative. But I feel like the script that Ryan Johnson wrote for The Last Jedi has a real potential to be, I, I can't say a game changer, because in my opinion, Star Wars isn't often a game changer. But it has the possibility to be a really special, great movie, especially for the fans and for people that are looking for Star Wars to do something just a little bit different from what they have. Can't say that you're wrong. And so, like you said, this is the second actor we've had now say, you know, I read the script and there's something weird. You know, I had to talk to the director and I, you know, one way or the other, there was something they had to talk about that. Between that and all the talk of risks and everything else, I have to think that they actually let him take some risks. And I also have to then maybe wrongly extrapolate that his risks turned out well because we didn't hear any negative firings of editors or fights between the director and the actors or fight, you know, points where the director finally had to either be, be um, removed or have to bring in new script writers or, and, and um, screenplay type people to fix what the director made. You know what I mean? Also, from, from that interview, something he said, it was something the Collider uh, reporter suggested was that Ryan Johnson was offered the role and specifically turned it down because of the way that Ryan Johnson wrote that script. And then Donald Gleason made a joke about how, yeah, I, I just don't think it could work because he'd call up Kathleen and say, hey, uh, so we're going to need to push back everything to 2025. I don't entirely understand why that is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why you would think that he wrote eight, so he should be able to write nine or be best positioned for it. Yeah, but it takes a lot of work if you're making a very special, like, movie, which I think he did. And it's kind of like, to... To not only create all the ideas, like he might have the ideas, but to work out the dialogue, the various scenes. Like essentially, you. it seems like what Ryan Johnson does is he films the movie in his imagination before anything else happens. I mean, I get it. And I appreciate the candor he had if that, you know, if that was really the case. That he's like, hey, I can't do this because it would take forever because I have my process. Um, but I can still sit here and be very upset that we're going to get J.J. Abrams. Can't I? I think so. And I'm, you know, I guess for me, I'm, I'm at a weird spot right now. I'm no longer upset that J.J. Abrams has The Last Jedi. I'm just disappointed. Granted, there were far worse choices that they could have made. I just don't have faith in this choice. And that's really the long and short of it. But yeah, especially because... Alright, so another thing is... I don't know how many times I've really seen or heard this, but... Something else out of that Collider piece was Donald Gleason talking about how he's really excited to actually see The Last Jedi because he's not exactly sure how it is. And then... 
I feel like is really surrounding the idea that even though they were filming certain arcs, characters that weren't necessarily involved in those arcs don't necessarily know what all was going in there. Well, all, all they know is what they did. And even if they were watching, they don't necessarily see how everything goes and how everything connects together because they also don't necessarily film in chronological order. Which makes sense. I mean, some actors will film their scenes and then leave, and then other actors are still filming. So you're right. You wouldn't have this all put together necessarily. But they all get to read the script, like the entirety of it, I'm assuming. Yeah, but even then, they specifically said you don't know the tone of something and what it's going to be. You can guess at it, but he just can't wait to see. Also, there was another very funny, very snarky response that Ryan Johnson gave out uh, to a fan this past week. And it was, a fan asked him, how did you approach, you know, determining the soundtrack for The Last Jedi? And Ryan Johnson's response was, I sent the movie to John Williams. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. That's, That's great. I could still picture that, too, being like, hey, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to handle this because I'm not a person who does music. John Williams is. He can figure it out. Yeah, I I do find that kind of neat. So, you know, there was a little bit in here about J.J. Abrams, but to be honest, I'm kind of J.J. Abrams out. Really? Yeah. So there was one other piece that came out this week, which I thought was much more interesting. What's that? And that was, even though we don't have a trailer for The Last Jedi, we do now have a trailer for part of the single-player campaign for Battlefront 2. I, that's right. That was a good trailer. Yeah, so I encourage you, go online and watch it if you're... If you're looking at our uh, podcast anywhere, I'm going to be including a link to the official PlayStation uh, YouTube channel, which is where this trailer was released. Um, And there's just a couple of things I want to go over with it. Like, the first is the planet Vardos. Do you want to know what's something that's kind of incredible that I just realized? What's that? This planet is not a a hellish cityscape. It is a planet that appears to actually have diversity of biomes, which is not something that we often see in Star Wars. My God, you're right. Yeah, and it's like one of the first shots of it is this view of the planet with some Star Destroyers uh, out and above. Yeah, and you can easily tell that it's not just one. Yeah, and to be honest... Those cities on that place look really cool because they're these little kind of hexagons within hexagons within hexagons that just have this really neat layering effect, as well as just some city lights dotting the distance on the dark side of the moon. Or planet, rather. And then eventually it cuts over to Iden, Iden Versio and her father and i think that you know when i was reading inferno squad this kind of interaction wasn't something i was expecting 
but it feels right. And I have to say, part of it might just be because this looks like it's a pre-rendered scene, but the graphic quality and the way that they are showing the faces of these characters is pretty incredible. Like you said, it was definitely pre-rendered probably, but um, the quality was good. Yeah, and then, then you have the Emperor's little robot friends. Dude, I love those things. The first time you saw them, I think, was in Shattered Empire, which was the first um, the Journey to the Force Awakens comics. Yep, the first four. But I love them even more seeing them, like, not just in written form, but verbalized. And how they basically float, it looks like. It just, everything about the Emperor's robots tickled my fancy, except for the Emperor's voice, which did not sound like the Emperor. Yeah, I, that is one thing that I will agree with you there. It did not sound like Ian McDermott, and because of that, it, it sounded a bit off. But at the same time, I think, I think visually, one other thing that really stood out to me is really kind of cool was that the Emperor's face within that projection glass is not super clear. No, it's not like they tried to replicate his face. It is truly a projection, and it is kind of a mask that these droids are wearing. And that, for me, was something that was really neat. Yeah. The only thing that, like I said, the only thing that really detracted from the whole experience of that droid was the fact that it did not sound at all like the Emperor. Granted, I didn't expect them to pay for Ian McDermott, but I expected them to find somebody that sounded at least closer to the real, you know, to the true deal. Yeah, there are just a lot of really interesting pieces. One of the other things is, uh, you know, the orders that her father gives her. He he flat out tells her, these are unusual orders, but we live in unusual times. And that, and when the when the Emperor Troid basically threatens her because she does not have access to that information or is not cleared for that information. That was that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, it's like this thing is a droid, but it essentially wields the power of their dead emperor. Like what would it have done if he what would it have done if he had answered her question? What type of weapons does it have? What could it do? Yeah, I, that is a great question. I, I actually specifically rewound that section to try and see if I could figure out if I could spot like any kind of weapon system that was going to come online or something like that when he floated at her. Yeah, but no, there's nothing you can visibly see. No, not at all. The only other thing that I will say is if you go towards the end of the trailer part there, when she parts from her father, is it just me, or does she look really conflicted about what what is happening there? And the reason why I bring this up is specifically the kind of questions that I personally had at the end of Battlefront Inferno Squad about her relationship with the Empire. See... I don't think I really questioned her relationship with the Empire at the end of Inferno Squad. Why so? 
I felt like, you know, she had some questions, yes, but I don't think that there was ever enough, um, what's the word I'm looking for, ever enough um, doubt in her mind that the Empire was not, was the, the force that she should be with, you know? I feel like, yes, she let that one guy go. Um, God, who was it? The senator. Why am I blanking on that guy's name? It was the senator from Onderon. Yep. But she let him go. So obviously she wasn't like 100% committed to the cause. But really, most of them aren't. At least from what we're seeing and reading, you know. Most of the Emperor's subjects, for the most part, are not all crazy fanatics. They all are human and or um, have doubt. Not just doubts, but like they're not, they're not robots. They're not clones. They're not robots. They, they're they're going to make human errors and human lapses in judgment. And that's why I thought it was for her. It was a human lapse, but not that she wasn't committed to the Empire, just that, she, you know... On this one thing, she thought she knew better. Well, for me, it wasn't even just that. It was that she broke down, like, when she was back on the Corvus. And specifically, how she was hiding from, um... Oh, who is it? And specifically, how she wound up hiding, like, what she and, um... What she and... Dell were doing, you know, when they were celebrating Sane's life, you know, they were hiding that from Hask. Yeah, but again, I'm still not. I don't know. I'm still not convinced that uh, her breaking down is that she has doubts about the Empire. You know, you're going through these massive tragedies. Massive events doesn't mean you're gonna have doubts. It's just emotion coming out. I don't know. Like for for me, I wasn't gonna think that way. But then that look on her face at the end, and specifically, like they are motion capturing this stuff. So it's not like it, it's not as if they were using what they did in something like The Witcher Three, where even though they did some kind of like facial capture. A lot of that was kind of programming in determining what and where different face features and ticks moved. With this, that is that is an actual performance that they're putting on. And because of that, I feel like you can read more into what kind of facial ticks they have. Oh, for sure. And you know, she might just be she might not be unhappy about the Empire. She might just be like, what the hell is this robot threatening me? Or um, that's true. Or maybe one of the things on the orders. I mean, he hands her the orders. Who knows if she can actually read one of them? She maybe she knows. Wow, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. Do you have any speculation on what those orders are? I've, initially, I thought maybe they'd be infiltrating some rebellion, some rebel forces, and defecting almost. But I, I don't think that'll be the route. No, because they already did that in the novel. Yeah, so I, that, like I said, that was my initial thought, but I was like, no, we just had this with this group of people. I mean, I this think is it's Operation in that Cinder. Vein, though. It's Operation Cinder, right? Yep. So I think it's going to be stuff that 
you know, will seem odd. Things that will be purposefully killing other Imperials, the weaker of the, of the Imperials. Yeah, that's one thing I think. I think that, you know, we, we're not confirmed or anything like that, but I have a feeling Inferno Squad at some point destroys the Fondor shipyards. Mm, I can see that. Just to prevent the Rebellion from getting its hands on that. Yeah, I can see that. I also think that specifically they're going to be killing a number of fairly high up Imperial agents. Maybe. I, I, I know I expect them to be doing a lot of things that will seem like it's destroying the Empire, but that's because it is destroying the Empire. Yep. I don't know if I necessarily think they'll be killing high-up agents, but maybe they'll be planting information so that the Rebels can kill the high-up agents. Mm. I mean, part of it's because of the nature of the game that we'll be playing. It is a shooting game, so I'm expecting them to take a much more direct response to it. That's a fair point. We are playing a shooting game. We're not playing like a splinter cell. I don't know, though. I'm hoping we see lots of destruction of the Empire, because that's what Operation Cinder was. And I believe this game spans all the way to The Last Jedi, so I'm not The Last Jedi, um, The Force Awakens, so I'm assuming we'll see some stuff, I, at least I hope, we'll see some stuff that we haven't seen before in regards to the span between the Battle of Jakku and The Force Awakens. I don't understand how we could do anything but that. I, I am thinking, though, I don't think that we're going to see Jakku, do you? I don't think it was confirmed to be in it, no. Maybe we're going to see them in the unknown regions. Like, they're out in the unknown regions setting up the, the, the new home of the First Order. Or the Empire, soon to be First Order. Yeah, that could be the case. And if that's the case, you still might not see much in between Jakku and The Force Awakens. It might be a lot of time period between Empire, uh, yeah, Empire, uh, Return of the Jedi and Jakku, but it'll be stuff we've really never seen before because it'd be the setup of the First Order or what will become the First Order. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Like, seeing, seeing what the Emperor's plan was, like, I'm really hoping that Aiden eventually becomes part of that inner circle, which is also a little bit alarming to me because specifically Aiden, none of the Versios show up in some of those meetings that, that you see in Phasma. So I am wondering what winds up happening to them. It's a good question. Maybe they get taken out. Or maybe they leave. Maybe her father dies and she leaves. I mean, her, you'd have to assume her father dies. It's a long period of time. He is older. That's very true. What I will say, and I'm not done with Phasma, so we can't talk too much about it, but uh, I was very tickled to see Ray Sloan mentioned. I, I did really enjoy Phasma. It's not the greatest book, but there's there are nuggets in there, and I love the the character of Cardinal. I really enjoyed him. And I really enjoyed the... Not the rebel agent, but the person who basically, like, ran alongside Phasma the whole time. Siv? Yes, Siv. Yeah, um... Like I said, I'm not done with it, but I've heard now the whole story of Siv. At least 
that parts that I think I know because uh, I'm still not done with it. But I really liked the description of um, what the how do you pronounce the name of this planet? Paneros. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. I really like the description of Panaris, how it was a mining plant, there was a nuclear accident, and uh, it turned to sh like a Mad Max shithole. At least that section of it. Who knows if the green lush side has a little bit better off, but there's still orbital cannons that are shooting things out of the sky. Like, I just, I love the whole setting of that planet and where Phasma came from. You'll really like the end, I think. I'm assuming so. I'm actually at that point in the book. Um, before you came on, I was just reading it feverishly. I'm like, I must finish it. Not because of the show, but because uh, I'm in that I want to know phase. But yeah, I think, was there anything else Star Wars was that you want to talk about this week? No, no there wasn't too much this week. Um, the Star Wars trailer was the, the Battlefront 2 trailer was the biggest thing I thought. Um, are you picking up uh, from a certain point of view tomorrow right away? Uh, I will be. I'm actually going to... I've decided I am just going to go ahead and pre-order it tonight. I was thinking about waiting until it hit my library, but I started to kind of waver on that. I am I am starting to get that itch, too, where it's kind of like, I want, I want some Star Wars content. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. The big question is, I might be able to hold out till Thursday. If I can hold out till Thursday, I might be able to wait until the library has it in stock. Why, you ask? Because Thursday, once again, is Battlefront 2 time. That's for anyone who's pre-ordered, which I have not, but I can do that right now. Yeah, go do so. You and I can play on Thursday. We can have uh, fun. I can't on Thursday. I have to work. Boo. What did you pre-order it on? Xbox One. Hmm. Fine. Mrahaha. I'll wind up getting it for both. You do that. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode 89 of the Coruscant Pulse. Please feel free to leave us a comment on our SoundCloud, on our Facebook page. Message us on Twitter. Shoot us an email, CoruscantPulse at gmail.com. And you know, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us reach out to a larger audience and lets us uh, get the word out about you know what cool Star Wars stuff is going on. Hell, send us smoke signals. Yeah, but don't start no forest fires. California's already ablaze. God, that that would that's so true. <laughs>